0: The other day I was driving down the street and past a playground... And as I looked out on the playground, there were just kids. It was one of those beautiful days, you know, we had this past week uh, where the kids were outside playing and running. And you could see some of them were on different parts of equipment out there. Um, but I, my eye caught this particular group of kids that looked like they were um, just having a blast. They were on one of those merry-go-round things, you know, where you spin it, everybody gets on it, and you spin it, and they were just going around. And as I looked at that... Uh, Uh, It brought back a lot of really bad memories. Um, I remember being on one of those, uh, and this isn't a story about my brother torturing me, uh, although he probably has done this to me before, but I remember uh, in elementary school, a bunch of us got on ours, and we were going around and having a good time, not going too fast. You know you know what happens if you go too fast, right? Uh, some kid always goes flying off, um, or you get sick. But, and that's what happened to me. We were on there one day, and I think I was probably in first grade. And this big bully fifth grader came along. And uh, he was causing trouble and picking on kids and doing all kinds of things. Well, we just kept on playing and doing our thing. And the next thing we knew, he started to spin us around. And uh, we thought, well, that's nice. You know, this bully fifth grader is helping us spin around. We don't have to get off and keep it going. Uh, But he kept spinning and spinning and kept going faster and faster. And it was one of those deals where, you know, you just lose all context of everything, and uh, there were kids throwing up, there were kids falling off, there were kids crying, and then you could hear this bully guy laughing as he was spinning us around. But one of the things that I figured out um, on that merry-go-round was that if I could focus my eye on one particular thing, and I don't remember what it was, maybe a tree or something that was out beyond us, but if I could just stay and, and keep looking at that instead of going around and around with my eyes, then I was going to be a lot better. I was going to be able to survive and not throw up like the rest of the kids on the merry-go-round. And uh, that worked for a little while, but sooner or later, uh, even I got sick. But it was great to have something to focus in on, a focal point that was off in the distance. Today, I want to talk about a focal point, because we get into those merry-go-rounds of life all the time. And maybe this past week, you were on one of those. You've been spinning around, and maybe it's because of your own doing. You thought, well, this will be fun. I'm going to take on ten more things in my life and I'm going to have them all going at one time and it'll be great. And then you find out it's only making you sick. But then maybe somebody else comes along in your life. It's not of your own doing. You are just having a good time and somebody comes along and just messes it all up. And they get your life into a whirlwind. We've probably been in both of those camps. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's just circumstances of life that throw us for a loop. Well, I want us to think about how is it we can survive that merry-go-round? How is it that we can make it through life when everything around us is spinning? And what God reveals to us is a focal point. He gives us something to look at off in the distance... And really, it's not that far away. He gives us Jesus to be able to consider. And we've been looking at all of these uh, different things that God reveals to us. uh, Going back on January 11th as we began the first Sunday after Epiphany. Again, Epiphany means what? What God reveals it is the uncovering or uh, taking something that was hidden and making it apparent. And we talked about how Jesus did that with a son, or how God did that with a son. He gave us um, Jesus so that as we looked at Jesus we could see the Father. And there is this perfect revelation of God in human flesh in the dirty trough of Bethlehem. But then, a calling, and we considered how God reveals to us a calling. Are you still living in that calling that God has given you? As God called uh, Samuel, Samuel kept thinking it was Eli, but it was God. And Eli says, go, sit, and the next time you hear that voice, respond to it. Samuel, God is calling you. And sure enough, he was right. And sure enough, it is right that God has called you. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been. God has called you. Have you seen that? Has that been revealed? And then mercy. We all need mercy, and we thought about Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah was uh, spat out by the the big fish uh, because he was running from God's call in his life, and God says, "No, Jonah, you can't run." from my call and I tell people that all the time if they come and say I think God's calling me to this how do I know for sure and my answer is well you can't run from it. it doesn't matter if you deny it or not you can't run from what God has called you to do at least you can't run for long but God gives mercy brings us back to it he gives mercy to other people through us and then power we talked about what does it mean to have power in our lives It's not something that we gain to uh, be able to to lord over other people or to be dictatorial in the things that we do with uh, our lives and in our businesses and in our relationships. No, it's a different kind of power that God gives us. And then activity. We talked about last week, God's activity in our lives. God is one who works in us. It's not that we become um, these sponges that just, continue to take in and never give out God is busy with activity in our lives. And then today, purpose. And I've changed that word uh, to be this word, these two words, focal point, that uh, we have already heard about in our Scripture today. And I want to remind you to look there on page 35. Isn't it great to have these Bibles that we can look at? Actually, page 34 in the New Testament. If you'll find that and look at that again, because it really is the, the story of God's revelation of a focal point for us. And this is the Sunday of Transfiguration. That's one of those big uh, I guess it's a theological word. It's also um, a scientific term of sorts. And if you'll look in your bulletin uh, there's a definition that's there. Uh, A change in form or appearance. Metamorphosis. And then number two, um, a Christian feast that commemorates the transfiguration of Christ on a mountaintop in the presence of three disciples and that is observed on August 6th in the Roman Catholic and some Eastern churches and on the Sunday before Lent in most Protestant churches. And so uh, today we are looking at this particular text about the transfiguration and I hope that this picture, this will stay in your mind as you uh, consider what we're talking about today because this is a uh, uh, an image or this was a memory that was inside of Peter, James, and John. As they would go throughout the rest of their lives, they would think about what they saw as a focal point on top of that mountain. And you could see them there at the bottom. Well, I believe that God wants to give us a similar experience that Peter, James, and John had. He wants us to have this same kind of focal point that is in our minds and in our hearts as we continue on with our lives. And that is indeed what God reveals to us. He does this, first of all, as we see in their lives, by getting us to a a scenic overview of sorts. He takes the disciples and they are progressing on, they are moving ahead, they are traveling together. Jesus is busy teaching them, and they're tired. And we see again in in the Gospel of Mark, there is this immediacy, there is this sense of urgency. There's always something that's going on with uh, the disciples and Jesus. But they're tired at this point, so Jesus says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take a rest. We're gonna uh, cool our heels. We're gonna get something to eat. We're just gonna sleep a little bit." But not all of us. He goes and taps Peter, James, and John on the shoulder and says, "I want you guys to come with me." I'm sure they're thinking, "Jesus, we're tired." We can't go anywhere else with you. We've been doing all of this stuff and casting out demons. And we've seen you uh, say all these uh, things to people where you you just have all these people following you now. And we're having to feed them. And we're having to take care of them. And and we're having to kind of protect you a little bit as we go along here. He says, no, we've got something to do. I want you guys to come with me. And we're going to climb this mountain. And they're probably asking Jesus, well, why why would you ever climb a mountain? And Jesus says, because it is there. Right? That's... Okay. No one laughed at that. Uh, But uh, we're going to climb this mountain together. There's a scenic view up at the top, and I want you to come with me. What about the other disciples? Don't they have to go... I'm sure Jesus just said, well, it's not a matter of having to go, it's getting to go. You three are my key leaders. You have demonstrated that that you're willing to do whatever to follow me. And so I want you to come away from them for a while. Come with me, let's go up to the top. And I'm going to give you this great overview of what my life is all about so they go up to the mountain um, and as they go uh, let's see, let's go back one more um, as they go up to the mountain they see Peter, uh, or Peter, James and John see Jesus going a little bit higher up on the mountain and as they see Jesus there they see that as Mark describes Jesus is taking on this glow it is a, a bright, um, shining, white light uh, Projection of, of of brilliance and light that is going out from him, and on the sides of Jesus they see uh, Moses over here on the left side. As they look, they they recognize that this is this has to be Moses. Because this is who uh, our forefathers have described Moses to look like. He is the carrier and the giver of the law and he is stern and yet he is um, there, right there next to Jesus. And then over to the other side, they see Elijah and they recognize this is the great prophet. This is the one who is speaking about things to come and he is ushering in this uh, great movement of God in the world and he is speaking the words of God that, that we've always needed to hear and he has told us about the Messiah to come. And then their eyes drift back to Jesus and they see Jesus right there in their midst. And so as they are taking in this whole experience, which is the greatest uh, epiphanal moment that they would ever have, they hear the voice of God speaking to them as well. And this was a time for them to take Jesus and to take his whole life and put it into context. They needed to know where Jesus fit with the law that Moses gave. They needed to understand where Jesus fit with the words of Elijah and of all of the prophets that would come. That Jesus was right in the middle. That Jesus fulfilled everything that God was doing in the world. It was a scenic overview they would never forget. I remember uh, going to, uh, I spent a lot of time in North Carolina as I was growing up, going to youth camp, but also uh, later going there to work as a, a camp pastor when I was in seminary. And you'll probably wonder, what in the world is this picture up here? Uh, whenever, we would, uh, whenever I would go, I would always go up to the top of Mount Mitchell. Mount Mitchell is the highest peak east of the Mississippi. It's like 6,700 Uh, above sea level and as you go up there if it's a clear day you can see this right here you can see what this would look like Um, and when you get to the top you can see uh, different states. If you if it's a really clear day, you can see beyond uh, the horizon and, and see what uh, you can see Virginia and other places. But up here, they talk about uh, a, a sign that's on the top of the mountain. It talks about and points out uh, different peaks that are there. You can see Potato Knob, Klingman's Peak, Mount Gibbs, uh, Mount Craig, Big Tom, Balsam Cone. A lot of these I grew up hiking in. Uh, Winter Star Mountain, Gibbs Mountain, Horse Rock. You can see all these up there. And if you didn't have this guide that was there, you really wouldn't understand where you were. And really, all the way up to the top of Mount Mitchell, you have trees all around you. You can't really see. You can't get a feel for the context of where you are. But when you get up to the top, you can see everything that is around you. It's an amazing thing. And it's awesome to, to get that context of where you are. This is what Jesus intends for us to have. He intends for us to be able to go to this great scenic overview, to see something that our eyes have never seen before, and to behold the glory of Christ. But for us to understand where Jesus enters the picture. If you um, grew up in Sunday school and you heard a lot about Jesus and you didn't ever hear anything else you just heard about Jesus. You didn't. Your teacher never taught you from the Old Testament, or uh, you never really knew much about um, any of the uh, the law. Or you didn't understand about the prophets. You didn't get the whole historical context. Then you really miss out. You don't understand where Jesus comes into the picture. And I've heard people say, well, I don't really want to read, I don't like to read the Old Testament. It's too hard to read and it's, it's full of violence, which it is. It's, it's full of all kinds of weird stories and things that happened. And, you know, I just would rather read the New Testament. We are New Testament Christians and so we just want to hear the New Testament. And if that is how you view things, then you're missing all of the context around Jesus. You're missing where Jesus enters into the picture. And I'm afraid a lot of us are like that. We're pretty uh, mindless Christians, aren't we? We don't study Jesus is really all about. We don't understand the historical context. We don't understand the things that were going on in the world of Jesus and and prior to Jesus entering into the world. We don't get that. And so we certainly can't understand where we are today. And we need to go beyond that. We need to allow God to reveal to us the things of Jesus and and the things that uh, prefaced Jesus. And certainly the things that He entered into. Where are you with that today? Are you allowing God to take you to that scenic overview? Are you studying? I mean, even maybe reading Leviticus or reading Deuteronomy or all those other very hard words to spell. What about Hosea or uh, Zephaniah? Um Malachi. I keep thinking about Malachi. Uh, I had a professor who said he was the Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi. Read those sometime. Find out where Jesus is in the midst of all of that. Or Ezekiel, read these books and you will find Christ written in the midst of them. And you'll get the context. But it's not all about that. It's also about getting to that point where we feel a place of connection. We get a focal point by getting to the place of connection. And that is what happened with Peter, James, and John down at uh, the, the part of the mountain where they are. And they're looking up. They see Jesus um, in the distance. They see Moses. They see Elijah. And uh, as we see Peter and uh, James and John right down here at the very bottom, if you were able to look more closely, you could see that the expression on their faces is that uh, this is a good place for us to be. In fact, uh, Peter says, Lord, it's good to be here. It is good for us to be here. This just feels right. This is where we have longed to be. Forgive me for whatever I said at the bottom of the mountain and my belly aching all the way up as we climbed up to the top. I'm sure glad you brought us here. This is good. It's great to see Moses. It's great to see Elijah. But even better, Lord, it is so good to see you glorified. This is what we thought about you, Jesus, and now it's becoming even more clear to us. And so Jesus wanted them to have that very powerful moment. This past week I was talking to a church member, and he was telling me about how it is that he found out about our church. I don't see him here today. Uh, but he was telling me how 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 great it was. That means I can embellish, right? Um, but he said, when I first came to the church, he said, I didn't want to come. I hadn't been in church in years, and I did not want to go to church, but somebody else kept inviting me. And so I decided I'll go. I'll, I'll just kind of get it out of the way. I'll go to church. And he said that as he got out of the car, and as he came into the chapel and sat down, he said he almost immediately knew that he was at home, that this is where he needed to be. It just felt like home. He felt connected. he can't describe all of why he felt that way but it was just this overwhelming feeling inside of him it was this peace that passes all understanding to where he knew this is where he would be this would be his church and later not much later he would join have you ever been in a place like that a place you didn't want to leave a place where you would just say to yourself wow it is just good to be here Maybe it was a vacation spot. Maybe it's a special place where you love to go to get away from everything and you just feel so connected to God. The Mount of Transfiguration, as it would become known, was that place for Peter, James, and John. And God gives us these places as well. A place where we can feel connected. To feel connected to God and to know, God, this this is right where I want to be. That reminds me of another church member who was talking about wanting to get back to that place in her life where she felt so close to God. So close to God. She's never felt any more close to God than back then. And she said, I just want to get back there. I'm not sure we ever get to go back there. I'm not sure we ever get to walk through the same river twice. God gives us more and more of those opportunities to get closer to Him and to feel connected. And the primary way that's going to happen for you is through Jesus. It is by allowing God to reveal to you the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. To see Him for who He truly was not for who you think He ought to be or think He was, not to mold Jesus and shape Him into the person that fits best with your life, but to be able to look up and say, Wow, Lord, it is good to be here. It's good to be in a place where I can see You as You are. Well, finally, it's a matter of understanding that God gets us to a place where He gives us the audio with the visual. It's not just the, vis- the the visual aspect of what God does in our lives. Even though we do need those focal points that we can look out to and see, we also need to hear what it's all about. And if you look back here in, in Mark chapter 9, here in... Uh, the latter part of these verses. In verse 7, "...then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice." Remember that voice that was back at the baptism where uh, Jesus is coming up uh, out of the water and uh, He sees this dove coming. It's like a a dove coming down. It's the Holy Spirit coming down upon Him and this voice goes out. "...This is My Son whom I, I love." Listen to Him. And so here is that voice again as we end Epiphany. This is My Son, the Beloved. Listen to Him, Peter, James, and John. Listen to Him, Church for the Highlands. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus They had an audio-visual moment. God wanted them to continue to listen. It wasn't just listen to Him right now while we're here on the mountain, but listen to Him as you continue on, as you go down to the bottom of the mountain, as you begin to deal with people that are going to try your, uh, your nerves, they're going to try your patience, they're going to challenge you, and ultimately, some of you, they will even kill you. As you go, listen to Him. I remember when we were, uh, one weekend several years ago, went to, to Dallas, my, my family. We took off and went to see the uh, museum exhibit uh, of Ramses. Uh, with all the Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics and everything, it was an amazing thing. And I, I remember uh, as we were going in, I, I was already a little upset about having to pay the ticket um, price to go in and to see this. I mean, you know, nothing too exciting—a uh, couple of mummies and you know, bunch of gold and stuff that they found in pyramids. I mean, you know, it was it was great, but it you know wasn't that exciting to be able to. Um, make me want to pay the extra money to uh, to go see it. But I did. I relented. I gave in, went to do it. I thought this will be a great educational opportunity for my kids. And so as we got up there in the line and they said, okay, it's going to be this amount of money. And they said, but if you really want to find out what this is all about, you have to do what? Get the You've got to get the headphones. I thought, no, 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 we we don't need headphones. We can read, and uh, and and even if uh, they can't, re- if my kids can't read what's on there, if they can't understand it, then I'll just tell them later. We're not going to waste our money on these headphones. A guided tour? Who needs that? Well, it turns out we really did need those headphones. We had no idea, other than the mummy that we thought was really cool. We had no idea what we were looking at. We didn't understand all the stuff and all the symbols, and we kept trying to figure out the symbols that were on there and how meaningful they were and how they have been seen in architecture and in different places, even here in uh, the United States. And so we missed so much of it. We just got the visual, not the audio. And how many times does that happen in our lives where we, we don't really understand? We think, well, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to read the Bible or I'm going to just talk to some Christian friends and, and I'll, uh, you know, we'll just try to get a glimpse of what's going on. I really don't need to have all that extra stuff. I don't have time for that. It's going to be costly for my time and my schedule. I'll just show up at Easter Or I'll come at Christmas, or uh, I'll just show up every once in a while, and I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll know what's going on well enough to be able to pass the test at the end. And we miss out on the audio part. It's great to see Jesus, but you need to listen to Him. To allow Him to narrate the things of life that are going on all around you. To tell you the things that you most need to hear, whether you want to hear them or not. To tell you those words of encouragement that you need when everything is spinning out of control. To be able to listen to Him. We have a great opportunity to do that as we begin Lent in this next week. As we go into this time, uh, starting on Wednesday night, or Wednesday at 6, we'll have our Ash Wednesday service. And I hope you'll show up for that. As you come, we will mark your uh, head or your hand with ashes and we'll begin the season of Lent. And as we go through those 40 days, we will walk... With Jesus, beginning with Jesus in the desert. And then we'll talk about taking a step of orientation, a step of application. We will step into salvation, and then we will talk about consecration as we consecrate our lives with Jesus as we enter into Holy Week. I hope that you'll come each and every Sunday of Lent, that you can walk along with Jesus, and that as you walk, you can listen to the things that He is saying to you. Let us pray.